Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Roka. I'm Richard Roper. We want to pay tribute to those who serve this country and to the family members of those who serve this yes. country because that is as hard a job in a lot of respects mm-hmm. as those who are actually out doing the job. Yeah. And you can ask any family member. I grew up in a family that served a service member, and anybody who does that knows how mm-hmm. scary that can be. And and you know, bless you all for doing that. So yes. we're going to talk about some of the best art that has come out of Hollywood and maybe around the world to honor those who serve. But first, let me say this. The digital landscape is changing rapidly and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing. It drives your overall business success because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Go to AmericanEagle.com today. Ro, before we talk about some of the greatest movies about American military and wars that have ever been made in in honor of Veterans Day, I have to also say that about once a week, you'll catch one of these viral videos on YouTube where someone is coming home after doing a tour of duty. Sometimes it's 14 months and it's dad or it's mom and it's uh, there was one recently where the kid was going out to um to the 50 yard line he's the captain of his high school football team and the refs are going to do the coin toss right and one of the refs is his father that he had his head he had his head down oh, so he couldn't see and then he lifted his head up and every time you see that when they surprise the kids and they do it in so many different creative ways i love those videos i'll never tire of watching them and sometimes if there aren't children involved or even if there are it's when the dog sees that <laughs> the service uh, man or woman is back, that the uh, you know the army or navy or whatever the case may be, officer or soldier oh has God. come home, and the dog goes crazy. There was one where the guy he is, I think he was an army guy. He was in a big Christmas present. The dog was opening the Christmas present and tearing at it and everything, and it was his. It was his human. So I love all those. Oh my uh, God. I, and I thank all the families and people that share those. Because uh, we need those, you know, that, that content. As Rex Chapman says, you know, this is the content I'm here for. You know, I love that. So, yeah. But we want to talk about some of the great movies about, um, about servicemen and women. I know you've got some, some, some perennials that you talk about. Well, Full Metal Jacket, I think, is arguably the best war movie of all time. And I, I like movies that are conflicted in telling a war story. Movies Nuance. that are all not, going... You know, like the Green Berets, things like that. It's right. Not your, not your thing, yeah. I mean, I enjoy that movie, but for all the wrong reasons. Uh, it, it just it doesn't have the real experience that service people have. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my life of growing up around service people mm-hmm. and my dad, career Air Force officer, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't believe in the whole rah, rah, rah thing. He served in World War II. He served... Uh, in Europe during the Cold War, his unit served in Vietnam, mm. although he never went out of the country for that. And, you know, <laughs> they, th- those guys who went through all of that, they didn't come back and go, yay, yeah. we're going to make yeah. these, you know, crazy ultra-nationalist films about it. It was, it, it's conflicting. Anybody who does, whether, you know, you're in law enforcement or you're a firefighter, you do these kinds of things that, you know, we make instant heroes out of people. A lot of people kind of shy away from that because they realize it's, you know, there, there's a lot of nuance to it. And that's why I love Full Metal Jacket because Full Metal mm. Jacket 
tells an amazing story from two sides yes. about the Vietnam War. And it's not all like, oh, my God, it's all awful. What it is, it's an unblinking vision of what it was like to be yeah. a Marine on Paris Island for the first almost half of the film. And the back half of the film is what it was like to be in that ironic space at the middle and near end of the Vietnam experience for soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, specifically in this mm -hmm. movie, and what they were dealing with, the, just the death and destruction around them. And it was all ultimately useless as war is, except it serves its political and business masters. Well, that's one of the reasons I love The Deer Hunter, Michael Cimino's masterpiece, which is you know one of the most incredible epics of any kind ever made, Ro. First of all, it has the greatest wedding reception scene in the history of cinema, Without the extended question. wedding reception. But if you go back and watch that, you see that there are banners that you would normally see for generals and presidents that are that big of the local guys that are going off to Vietnam right after this wedding reception. They're, they're in this steel town in Pennsylvania. There's no doubt that they're signing up. And you know they're not. This is not a Vietnam movie about getting drafted. This is a, you know a town where everybody who could serve serves and is treated like a hero before they ever go there. Right. And then we're plunged from the the scenes in Pennsylvania and the deer hunting scene into the swamps and jungles of Vietnam, where it's quickly apparent that these guys had no idea what they were signing up for. And then we see in the third act the aftermath and the destruction of body and in some cases heart and mind and soul right. and the toll it takes. I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful film. And I'm going to get choked up talking about because at the end when they sing God Bless America. Oh, oh man. God, yeah. So it's not, a, it's, it not a, it's not an anti-American film at no. all. It's a pro-American soldier film and a pro-American film, but also says, like you know, it also does have that element where you're like, what the hell were we doing there? But just a brilliant film. Right. And it is one of those films that actually points to human frailty being exposed and then ultimately exploited yeah. for carnage purpose. And we had to make a certain amount of sacrifices if we were going to go do it, if we were going to stand up to it. It's interesting how the mechanics of war have changed. You know, you can now have these uh, standoff weapons that can do so much more destruction than a platoon mm, of Marines yeah, can do. Yeah, And yet we still send the people in to go do it because you can't win the political war unless you win the ground. And and you see that story told in almost every war film you're going to see yeah. from glory, right, about mm -hmm. the reality of that, mm -hmm. you know, just, you know, before there were these mechanized yeah, instruments good. of war right, yeah. uh, to things like Dr. Strangelove, which <laughs> still... It's, it's not exactly as much a war film as it is just an amazing yeah, it's a great political commentary. Yeah. Yeah. But, all right, so you have films like those that make you think, and I think a lot of people who have served look at and admire because it reflects their experience. I want to throw out a couple more for you. One is, a, a you know, it really was a, a two-part masterpiece from Clint Eastwood, Flags of Our Fathers and then Letters from Iwo Jima, which right. told the story of World War II from, you know, the very, very different viewpoints. But also it was part of this era where we didn't have this sort of cartoonish, you know, 
a villain, you know, it, it, whether it was the Germans or the Japanese, and it showed the honor of the Japanese soldiers and what they, you know, what they were doing, and in some cases with officers, what they what they had to do and were honor bound to do. But uh, both films, just incredible, bro, brilliantly done. Well, you have to have propaganda films to get people to sign up, mm-hmm. right? That's that was a lot of what World War II was. Obviously, the attack of Pearl Harbor induced millions of Americans to get involved in the war effort without question. But after that, there had to be a way to still drive people back because there were a lot of gold star families in the first months of world war two where they had lost people and they would hold, they put that gold star up in the window and that scared a lot of people. So if you notice in 42, 43, 44, 45, uh, and it was over in 45, but, they were still making films trying to get people to sign up and you know be a part of this effort so we think in our minds i it's such a unique thing you know mm-hmm. you think all war movies are propaganda no only a very small select piece of war movies are and so you talk about john wayne who mm-hmm. starred in some of those great ones from the world war 2 era really great pieces of filmmaking and we were fighting true evil i mean there there's really no nuance to world war 2 Right? Did I mean was Adolf Hitler yeah, yeah, or yeah? You're absolutely right. What was yeah. happening in Asia and what the Japanese Imperial Army was doing in China? I mean, it was all horrifying. War is horrifying, but when you're taking it out on a civilian population, that's a whole other situation, yeah, yeah. right? So you have to understand the context of all that, and I forgive it. But John Wayne also appeared in a few films in the middle of the end of his career, including In Harm's Way, Mm -hmm. which I think is the best World War II film, naval World War II film made, Mm -hmm. save the Pearl Harbor attack films. It's a made-up battle, but it is, again, a really nuanced story and so true to the reality of what it was like to go from the peacetime Navy, which was not prepared in any way, shape, or form for World War II, into the submerging of this gigantic, mm. big battle in the Pacific and then in the Atlantic. But this was all about the Pacific specifically. And talk about the personalities and the people who got dragged into it. Mm-hmm. Is a really, it's a really great film. If people have not seen it, Otto Preminger is a director. Yeah. It's brilliantly done. And again, it's got nuance to it. And it's not like what John Wayne did at the end of his career, like Green Berets, which was another propaganda film because they were having trouble, even though it was a conscription army during Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, They were trying to win the hearts and minds of Americans with that movie about the hearts and minds of the Vietnamese. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, listen, there are so many movies, if you haven't had a chance to see them, uh, countless great uh, films about American soldiers, servicemen, and you know all the way through things like Black Hawk Down and Three Kings, and uh, Zero Dark Thirty, and right. American Sniper. I mean, they, you know, you, even in the in the twenty first century, you could spend weeks watching all these great films. So they we were, hope that you get a chance to see some of these if you haven't. I, I hope so too, because as you're pointing out, there are amazing films made about the last twenty years yeah, of this engagement absolutely. in the Middle East that touch on all of that. They touch on the importance of going out and getting terrorist actors, but war has changed. You know, we're not mechanized army against mechanized army. You're you're small fighting forces against small fighting forces, and what does it end in? That's one of the great questions of, you know, this era. But 
there are so many more to see, and I know it's a genre that people go, oh, I don't want to see a war movie. But some of them are so brilliantly done, and the writing is excellent, and you just... It's part of the human existence. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, thank you to everyone who has ever served and their families. I'll make the segue here, Ro, because this is a very different genre, but also very much about America versus the opposition. I want to talk to you a little bit about Rocky IV. <laughs> That's right, Rocky IV. Okay. Uh, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, is releasing this week a new director's cut of Rocky IV. It's called Rocky IV, Rocky versus Drago. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because over the years, this has become, in some minds, in some polls, the most popular of all the Rocky movies. People love the story. If, people, if, you, if you go back and look at it, Rocky IV picks up. Apollo Creed is retired, and he's completely restless and wealthy and bored, so he wants to fight this exhibition in Las Vegas against... Ivan Drago, who's played by Dolph Lundgren, the greatest boxer, but of course he's never had a chance to take on the Americans. So they have this incredible scene at the beginning where James Brown does Living in America and uh, Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed is, is uh, you know, dressed as Uncle Sam. And it's, this, you know, this is all supposed to be for fun. And then when the fight starts, Drago takes it seriously and he, he's punching him and smacking him and punching him and Rocky's Apollo's manager. And Apollo keeps saying, you know, don't throw in the towel, man. And so Rocky won't throw in the towel. And then Drago knocks down the beloved Apollo Creed. And it looks like, oh, my God. He's not. And then Drago says, if he dies, he dies. And that, and that, become one of the, that becomes one of the great villains of all time, right. right? And spoiler alert, Apollo Creed dies. Oh, no. So then Rocky says, I'm going to take this guy on. And then he takes on Drago. And they end up fighting in Moscow. And there's the, you know, of course, again, spoiler alert, Rocky, against all odds, beats the guys two feet taller than him. And, um, <laughs> and then they had an actor who was a Gorbachev lookalike who stands yeah. and applauds at the end and says, you know, and then Rocky says, you know, if, if we could get together in the ring, maybe our two countries, because this, of course, is still during the height, you know, the end, right, of the Cold War. Right. You know, maybe our two countries could also get along. Hey! And people love this movie. You know, of all the Rocky movies... <laughs> Uh, basically, when I say this, I mean everything after the original Rocky. Yeah, I found to be such a cynical construct. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't. I'll disagree on some of the uh, films, but yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. I, and uh, sequels tend to be. Yeah, right. They're playing off of their strengths, but that movie was such a shining piece of <laughs> almost like amateur cinema, right? I well, mean, you know, you had a yeah. guy who. Stop, and you think about Sylvester Stallone's immense talent. Yeah. Right? Sylvester Stallone, one of his first film roles was as a thug on a New York City subway beating up Woody Allen. Uh, take the money and run. Right. And then Lords of Flatbush after that. You so, know. so he, uh, and you, no one ever thought that, that guy was going to be anything. He's a brilliant yeah. screenwriter, great filmmaker, a character he, actor. Maybe. Right. Yeah. He knew what he was doing when he made Rocky. And he knew what he was doing when he was cashing in on Rocky because you're not, not well, going to do that. and that's what happened, too, because by this point, he has taken over the writing and directing of the franchise, and Rocky's character is kind of mirroring Stallone's character with kind of like, you know, giant McMansions and flashy cars and leather coats and, you know, jackets with tigers on the back and shit like that. Um and they, they went way overboard. And Here's the interesting thing, bro. They actually, um, I've got some of the changes for you. So 
when I first heard this, I said, oh, God, they're adding 42 minutes of material to Rocky IV. 42 minutes. And I'm like, this is not Once Upon a Time in America or, you know, some you know, epic that we need to see the direct, you know, the Schneider cut. Yeah. But they're subtracting 40 oh. minutes. Oh. Now, you might recall that the one thing that people hated about Rocky IV was there was this whole uh, subplot about Pauly, the Burt Young character. They gave him a robot for his birthday this annoying short circuit type of robot who became his best friend. And it was just horrible. They're cut, the robot's gone. He's out. And that's a lot of scenes. They killed the robot? He's the Jar Jar Binks <laughs> of the Rocky franchise. So they're going to spend more time, uh, I think, with uh, Drago's story in Russia. They're even kind of moved uh, some of the uh, fight scenes around. Where did they get this from, um, though? This was this all is footage that Stallone had as the writer director, so he had. So this they footage, shot all you know? this, but yeah, they never they used shot it. all exactly. This is cutting room four stuff. Even this, they're even going to repurpose some of the music. They're going to use a different version of "Eye of the Tiger" by Survivor, which was from Rocky Three originally. But you know, and I, uh, we know Jim Peterick very well. That means more royalties for Jim because they're going to be <laughs> reusing Eye of the Tiger. But okay. I, I'm going to be seeing this uh, a couple of days after this podcast airs, and I'm kind of excited actually to see it. But I will say this to people who say that Rocky Four is the greatest Rocky movie of all time. The greatest Rocky movie of all time is fucking Rocky, okay? Yeah, that's It's true. Rocky yeah. by far. It, you know, If you go back and watch it, it's this beautifully photographed, cost $1 million. John Aldenson directed it, also went on to direct Karate Kid. Uh, Stallone was the writer, but it has this amazing... It feels like they shot it like while they didn't even have the streets blocked off. It feels so real right. and authentic, and all the supporting uh, performances are great. And Stallone is so unfiltered, and so, you know, just him, mm -hmm. and it's he's just great. He's sweet in it. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's Marlon Brando in it. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, film. Rocky IV, they're actually going to do like a one-night theatrical release, and then there's going to be like a virtual, you know, Q&A with Sylvester Stallone. Then it'll be available on all the platforms out there what they'll never do is do a remake or a recut of rocky five because there's no way to save that piece of junk that was the worst of all the <laughs> rocky movies Rokan. all right all right portillo's they are known for their famous chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients right down to the poppy seed bun and of course the legend itself the chocolate cake. If you are hearing this right now, that means you are alive and you are near a computer. Go to Portillo's.com and check out their entire selection of stuff that you can get anywhere in the United States of America. If you are blessed enough to live near a Portillo's, then you don't have to worry about going online. Just go to the store, go get the hot dogs, go get the Italian beef, go get the salads, the chicken. They got It's all great, but the chocolate cake is the single greatest item of all chocolate cake items in the history of humanity. Am I overstating that? <laughs> I am not. I am not. You go and you find out yourself. Order it online, go to a store, or if you really want to try something totally unique, the cake shake. They take the cake and they smush it <laughs> into a can with the... I don't know what else it is. I guess ice cream and some other stuff. And then they put it in the blender. You know how they do that? Where they yeah. take that cannish looking cup and they put it up into the blender. Next thing you know, <laughs> it comes out and they put a cookie on the straw and you're like, oh my God, this oh. is the greatest thing that ever happened. This is a warning to diabetics. It may not be perfect for Good you, Lord. but for everybody else. <laughs>
It is the greatest thing you could possibly have. Go to Portillo's.com, find a location near your order online, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S, Portillo's.com. And last week we had an interesting situation where we had nothing for the Thursday three, which are the three things you should be watching this right. weekend. And we had a million things for what not to watch. Yes, I'm, I've got great news. Right? People were disappointed, but also I did hear from some folks who said, thank you, because I was going to go see that or watch that. Now I, I didn't because I trust you. And, the, and you should, quite frankly, folks. Because you have actually seen it. I have seen about 7,000 titles through the years. So. I have nothing in the what not to watch category this week. I didn't see anything that I would say don't watch it. But I have, a, I think, a fantastic and very different Thursday 3 for you. Okay? okay. So I want to start off with Mayor Pete. A hometown boy who went to Harvard and became a Rhodes Scholar only to return to the city where he grew up. He's also a newlywed. I made Pete promise that we would have fun. This is the only chance you'll ever get to vote for a Maltese-American left-handed Episcopalian gay war veteran mayor millennial. It's a leap going from being a mayor to being a presidential candidate, but I realized I had something to offer that was just different. When I talked about coming out, that was for everybody who's tried to figure out how to be who they are. The challenge, of course, is how do you master the game without it changing you? This is a documentary about Pete Buttigieg, Mm-hmm. who is the transportation secretary right now, as people know. But uh, I don't think people do know that. Well, but, he okay. is. You yeah. know, he is. And uh, this is all about, this is an Amazon uh, Prime documentary, and this is all about his candidacy, you know, his unlikely candidacy. He was the mayor of South Bend, openly gay, and it's about his run. And you, you're you a big fan of uh, The Circus, which oh, is yes. uh, the Showtime yeah. uh, mm-hmm. political documentary series. So I think you'll like this because it's very much in that same vein, very fly on the wall, full access. And I kind of forgot... The steam and the heat that he had early on, Buttigieg. He won Iowa, and he did really well, I think, in New Hampshire. And all of a sudden, he you know he was like raised to this national level, right. and he and his and there's interviews with him and his partner, and you know his campaign workers, and it's the classic thing where there's three people in the campaign office, and then there's 150, and then there's 40 national media following him around. And we talked about Veterans Day. Here's a veteran. Uh, here's a guy who's a Rhodes Scholar. Here's somebody that, you know, was really impressive, but he was also a mayor of a town that was going through a lot of strife, mm-hmm. having a lot of problems. Right. And also no mayor had ever become no one has ever gone from mayor to president. It was, you know, a huge leap to even think about that. Uh, and then it fizzled out fast. So it's fascinating, but it's also like it's pretty short because, you know, by the time they got to South Carolina, yeah, but but it's still yeah. it's an interesting it's an interesting portrayal of a guy who is, it is kind of cool to I uh, give him credit Buttigieg and everybody around him because he he admits you know for for a guy who has so much going for him he really isn't comfortable he's a kind of a reticent candidate uh, he you know he wants to have to make a difference but he's not. He's kind of the polar opposite. He talks about how he wishes he could be like a Bill Clinton or a Barack Obama and just light up a room. But he's kind of a shy guy who has to be kind of pushed out there, you know, once he's out there. And and very but why would a guy who is the mayor of South Bend choose to run for president, though, if he weren't that's that's kind of like the, that. that's kind of well, because a lot of people around him were saying this is your moment. And I think a lot of it was he looked at Barack Obama, you know, state senator all of a sudden, you know, in the middle of what his first term, you know, one term United States senator yeah. and saw that path where maybe you can't wait. And I think. Listen, I think a cabinet position is fantastic, and I think he's doing a great job at that. 
So I think the story's not done. I think he'll run again. But I, you get the sense watching this that he's a little relieved to make that concession call and call Joe Biden and say, you know, I want to get behind your campaign. I thought yeah. for sure that's the whole play for him. I thought he was just in it to try to get something bigger out of it. Because that's what a lot of people do. Absolutely. If, they can, if, you, if you find enough, like you're describing, groundswell of people around you, and there have to be a few millionaires and billionaires along yep. the way that are, that are also going to do these fundraisers for you, and you're going to raise you know, whatever number of millions of dollars yeah. you need to get to Iowa and work Iowa and build Absolutely. a little bit of a network in Iowa. And it, it, there's a whole cottage industry to that. There's people right now yes. in the state of Iowa, even though we are three years out from the general election for the next mm-hmm. president of the United States, but there's people on the ground in Iowa already working for candidates yep. that we probably have never heard of. Uh, okay, let me just put it this way. I'm kind of cynical no, I, about I, I, all of No, it. I understand that. Not to mention the fact that if you get a place at the table, if you're on stage for some of these town halls and debates, if you make the cut, if you're one of the seven or whatever, yeah. all of a sudden Jake Tapper and Van Jones and Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow are talking about you, this mayor from South Bend, and your speaking fees go up you know, on right. top of everything else. Right. And you write a book. You know, There's a lot of other th- elements to that. But Mayor Pete, I still think it's uh, it's worth your while. Okay. Now I want to talk to you about another uh, amazing, based on a true story series, but this is a fictional uh, piece. And, Ro, I knew nothing about this until I heard about this actual series. But this actually happened in real life. It's called The Shrink Next Door. Are you Marty? Yeah. What brings you here? I don't know. Phyllis made me come. My sister. She must be very persuasive. Don't tell me about yourself. I run a fabrics company. So you're the boss. That feel good? It feels... Phyllis has always been the strong one. You're a grown man hiding behind a wall of curtains. I think I can help you. The first thing I'm going to do is completely unethical. I'm going to give you a hug. I'm a hugger. It's based on a podcast about a renowned psychiatrist, uh, and this is going back to the 1980s, who started manipulating his clients' lives and controlling their lives and becoming their financial advisor and getting them not almost like a cult leader. Mm-hmm. And it's all based on a true story. And he did it for he did it for decades before finally uh, you know, everything kind of caught up with him. So it's called the Shrink Next Door. Paul Rudd plays the shrink. Oh. And Will Farrell plays his latest patient who becomes his primary kind of victim in this, who thinks that he's made a best friend. It's a little bit like What About Bob in Reverse, that movie, if people remember that. But it's called wow. The Shrink Next Door, but it's based on an actual Bloomberg podcast that, huh. about the uh, true life stuff. See, podcasts can lead to great things. There you go. Where do people find that? That's Apple TV+. Plus. That's a limited dramatic comedic series. Oh. Mostly dramatic, though. Okay. I know. I, I know you're expecting Will Farrell to be funny. I know there have been some interviews with him about that, about playing kind of a straight man in this. Yeah, well, it's interesting. And he has played dramatic roles, too. And he also talks about the fact that um, he's playing a Jewish character um, in a series that's all about Jewish culture and religion. There's three bar mitzvahs, I think, in the first two episodes. And Paul Rudd is Jewish. uh, So Will Ferrell, but he's very respectful and careful in saying, I didn't want to be a stereotypical character but it is interesting for someone like myself who was raised roman catholic and obviously we know a lot about the wonderful and great and esteemed traditions of of the jewish faith but it's interesting to see a series that so embraces that and paul paul rudd because paul rudd he's like a kansas city guy i i don't really give a shit if he's jewish or not 
but it's interesting to see him kind of play someone that's that's clearly this Jewish psychiatrist in well, New York. Well, for a lot of Jewish people, three bar mitzvahs is three straight weekends. I mean, it's it's just it's constant. You you have to really commit uh, because there's a lot of sitting around watching the same thirteen year olds run around and do circle dances. I just know that I know some friends that uh, when their friends' kids are twelve, they start making vacation plans for the next year. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna be out oh of my god, the things you have to make up to try to Is avoid she thirteen that. already. <laughs> Really something. Now, I can't wait to tell you about this row. Number one by far in the Thursday three. Kenneth Branagh, the great filmmaker and actor and director and writer and mm-hmm. stage great, you name it all, has uh, written and directed a film called Belfast. We all have a story to tell, but what makes each one different is not how the story ends, but rather the place where it begins. Can you put the shoes? You think me and that girl have a future? Why the heck not? You know she's a Catholic. And you call me hell? Yes! You know who you are. Your buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. They look so The whole family looks out for you. Be good, son. If you can't be good, be, be careful. careful. And that thought will keep you safe. I don't know if a lot of people realize this because you think of him, he is the quintessential British actor, writer, director. He actually grew up in Northern Ireland and with his family uh, moved to England uh, when he was nine years old Mm. in the late 60s uh, because of the troubles, because things were getting so heated between the Protestants and the Catholics that the family thought that they needed to get out of his neighborhood. This is based on his family's experience. It's, It's fictional, but it's this beautiful, romantic haunting, dark at sometimes, and frightening film set basically on one block in Belfast in Northern Ireland in 1969. Well, the Protestants and Catholics on that block have gotten along forever, but now the outside agitators start coming in, burning the houses of the Catholics, telling them to get out, and these families don't know what to do because you have to pledge loyalty. You can't be, right. you know, you can't be straddling the fence, but it's all told through the eyes of a nine-year-old boy. Because all he wants to do is watch Star Trek on TV and get you know and 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 find romance with the girl he's got a crush on in second grade, and play with his toys and and be and go visit his grandparents, uh, and now there's talk about the family having to possibly move and it's just it's beautifully acted it's in black and white and it's this glorious gorgeous monochrome but every once in a while, we get a flash of color and we get a flash of color when the family goes to the movies. And they watch Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And then on the screen, the movie's in color. And they're marveling at the flying car, which for yeah. 1969. And then they go, at one point, the dad takes the son to see One Million Years B.C. Oh, <laughs> and the, wow. And the, and the two boys are like, yeah. wow. And the mom's like, oh, now I know why you wanted to see this historically accurate movie <laughs> about dinosaurs and Raquel Welch in a fur bikini. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's you, it's also about, you know, this love of art because they also, the, at one point, they go see A Christmas Carol. And, there's you know, the, so the family loves, you know, getting immersed in that. But then there's all these horrible things happening, you know, in the outside world. So it, it's a perfect blending. It's one of those movies that's intimate yet epic. It's very specific yet universal. It's called Belfast. It's going to get 11 Oscar nominations, in my estimation, for just about every category you can think of. I think it's going to win Best Picture. I haven't seen everything yet, but I think it's going to win Best Picture. What a great story to tell right now, too, Yeah, because it catches us in a moment where neighbors are turning on neighbors here for 
less conviction than religion. Well, and that's absolutely right because, you know, the troubles too, it really wasn't about religion. It was about one faction saying, let's stay loyal to the crown and the other saying, no, let's be part of an independent Ireland. And this family's Protestant. And the little boy, he, he keeps he keeps saying like, I think we should do the Catholic thing because they confess their sins and they get a clean slate. That sounds awesome to me. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, a great, great film, Belfast. And, and where are we finding that's, that? That's a theatrical release, baby. That's not, you're not, you know, and it should be. You should see it on the beautiful silver screen in glorious black and white. Belfast. The Rowan Roper Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Our executive producers are Renee Nelson and Tim Alanius, and our ever-suffering... <laughs> Production director and editor, Demita Menezes, thank you for everything you do because you make us sound better than we deserve. We'll see you next time.